Hello, testing one, two, three. Yeah, that should work. Okay, um, so we're on Act 8. I'm going to have to apologize because I've got a little bit of a cold um, habit of you know, working with students. Um, so, and, and there's some Bibles over there if you need. Uh, can someone pass some Bibles to, to anyone who's got their hand up? If, does anyone need a Bible? Any other? Anyone else need a Bible? Okay, Acts chapter eight, and I know Craig uh, went through verse one to three last uh, a couple of weeks ago, but um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna read through that again just to give us some context. So Acts chapter eight, starting from verse one, going to twenty, uh, verse twenty-five, and Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down, into the, uh, down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of, the, of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God, that is called great. And they paid attention to him for a long time, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing great si uh, in seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he, he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on him, them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when S Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. 
Now, when they had testified and, uh, testified and spoken the, the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samar uh, Samaritans. That's great news, isn't it? The, the word is going out to the Samaritans. It's common practice among uh, companies and ambitious individuals nowadays to set themselves a five-year or a 10-year plan. I, I wonder whether any of you have done that. It's a, it's a common interview question to ask you, where, where do you see yourself in five years or where do you see yourself in 10 years? Companies uh, are trying to gauge your loyalties and your ambitions and see whether you'll fit into the company. Well, I wonder if, you, if Craig was to ask you to help him plan for the church, what you might have plans for the expansion of this church. I have no doubt, well, I, I doubt anyone would have these plans. Uh, they would, uh, I doubt anyone would include this. The execution of a deacon, the intense persecution of all its members, and everybody in the church except the leadership scattered all across Malaysia and into Singapore and all through Southeast Asia. Well, that's what's happening here to the, uh, to the church in Jerusalem. But look down at verse 4, and, uh, and I wonder whether you would trade that, the death of somebody in the church, one of the, the deacons, and the intense persecution for what happens next. Verse 4 says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Imagine if everyone, wherever they went, went about preaching word. So you can see that the gospel is going out from Jerusalem and traveling all across the known world. So for those who are taking notes, uh, the first heading I'm going to, uh, yeah, I would suggest is God's plan is fulfilled in spite of and through per the persecution of the church. So God's plan is fulfilled in spite and through the persecution of the church. Now, the atheist or the secular historian, the one who's not Christian, uh, the cynic might say that because of this persecution, the church spread. It's just coincidence. It's this, it's this point. This is the catalyst that causes the church to spread. And this is why Christianity is as big as it is today. And they might also say it's the same coincidence that the Romans became Christians and even their emperor, uh, Constantine, became Christians just at the height of the empire. And this is why Christianity is now as big as it is today. And the same coincidence, and you might be thinking, hmm, this is strange, the same coincidence that the printing press became uh, in wide usage after Martin Luther started pushing his ideas about Protestantism and that we had a direct link to God, we had this direct route to God. That's a coincidence, isn't it? And the same coincidence that despite all the evils that the, the British Empire brought, the British Empire spanned the world and brought with it Christianity. It's an amazing coincidence that all these things happened, isn't it? Except we know differently. We see things differently. It's all about perspective. I know for myself, uh, in fact, you know, I, I often answer, when people say this, I often answer it, well, it's, it's almost 
as if someone was in control. I'm, I'm being sarcastic there, you know. Um, and I, I know this for myself. Uh, the last three years in my church in London, I've been leading Bible studies. And last year, what were we studying over last year? Well, it was the book of Acts. So it's almost as if someone was preparing me to come to Malaysia, giving me a chance to study this book in depth so that I know the flow of the book, I know where we're going, and I can see God's work throughout the whole book and how this passage fits into the whole book. It's these coincidences. Well, if we remember what's been going on in the book of Acts, we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, turn back to chapter 1. If you turn, turn back to chapter 1, verse 7. So chapter 1, verse 7, Jesus says to the, uh, the apostles before he ascends, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, that's already happened at Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Well, that's happened as well. And the church has grown in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the, ends of the, earth, to the end of the earth. Well, you can see that this is God's plan. And we're now moving into phase two of God's plan. We've seen it happen in Jerusalem. We're now seeing it spread to all Judea and Samaria. So Philip has gone to Samaria and is spreading the good news. It was God's plan all along. So we shouldn't be thinking it's just coincidence. And this is what caused Christianity to happen. As Christians, we know this is God's plan and God is in control. And you might ask yourself, and, and lots of non-Christians will ask you, you, how can God grow his church through such pain and death and suffering? Well, he doesn't cause it, but he knows it's going to happen. We've seen it done before. If we remember what happened in church, uh, chapter 7, the most horrendous thing happened in chapter 7. Stephen was uh, Stephen laid out a sermon and then was executed for it. He was stoned for it. Stephen's sermon lays it out clearly. Joseph in the Old Testament was sold into slavery and that caused God's glory to be known to the most powerful empire on earth back then, the Egyptians. Again, another coincidence maybe? Well, you decide. Um, Moses was driven, out, uh, was, was driven out of Egypt to come back uh, and then ordained by God to lead God's people out of, again, this was the most powerful empire on earth, uh, and take their wealth with him. Do you remember that the, uh, the Jews at the time took all the gold from, from Egypt and left to go to Canaan? And that, that, was, that was ordained in the Old Testament as well. And S Stephen asked the question, which of the prophets did you not, your fathers not persecute? And this culminates in Jesus' death. And we see that Jesus' death causes God's ultimate glory to be known, that everyone now can be saved because, uh, because of the pain and death and suffering. And it doesn't just stop there. We see Stephen going to his death, proclaiming, God's glory, proclaiming the gospel of uh, grace and salvation. 
And he is just the start of a long line of martyrs, each of them striking a match to the tinder that causes the spread of the gospel. So each time somebody dies, God's glory, you see, is spread even further and God's glory is made known. Not because God wants these people to die, but he knows that this, you know, this is what uh, causes even more further spread and uses this. So we see God's plan is fulfilled in spite of and through the persecution of the church. So I apologize for the long introduction, uh, but I thought it's worth putting this passage into, to, uh, into context. So we see after this death of Stephen, this terrible act, we see, and we see Paul persecuting the church. The church is growing even more powerfully through that. And there's an interesting contrast here between Jerusalem and Samaria. Jerusalem rejecting uh, God's, uh, God's message and Samaria is, uh, is embracing it. Now, I find it really interesting that these two people, um, of the original deacons, Philip is the one who is, is sent into Samaria. Well, how powerfully has he used two deacons? Remember what the job of the deacons was. The apostles would de wanted to devote themselves to teaching. The deacons were chosen so that they could serve tables, so they could uh, organize people to, to, uh, uh, for their food. These people were chosen to serve tables. So, and I know it um, myself, it, it's incredibly humbling to see that and something that we need to remember when we're undervalued. If we're asked to put out chairs or buy the donuts or hand out flyers, maybe God is preparing you for greater works later. Or maybe God's just using you as part of his greater church. But these two men were asked to serve tables and now God has chosen one to die as a martyr and proclaim his word and the other to go to Samaria and pass on. And later he's known as Philip the Evangelist. So, let's get back to the passage. Um, I think there is, I want to tackle two controversies that are in this passage, and I want to really, really tackle them head on. Um, so, my second point is that true belief leads to repentance. The first controversy is about this idea of, uh, of belief. Have a look down at verse 13. So we see that even Simon believes. Simon is the, the magician who has persuaded even the authorities to name his, him as great, to give him lots of power. Everyone thinks that he's a great person. Okay? They say that to test magic, you know, you, you see all these uh, you know, illusionists, these people who are claimed to, to do magic. Well, actually, a lot of them say that they're illusionists and it's not real, but some of them don't. But they say that to test magic, you shouldn't send a religious person. You shouldn't send a pastor or a priest. You shouldn't even send a scientist. But instead, you should send another magician. Because they're used to, uh, they're used to tricking people. They're used to sleight of hand. They're used to uh, getting people misdirection. 
they're used to uh, showing people something that seems like magic. And so they will know whether what's being performed is genuine magic, whether it's the real thing. And Simon is, is our man. He is the perfect person to check out with the, what Philip's doing. These miracles that Philip's doing are real. And he puts behind his magic, he says, what I, what I did was fake. What you're doing, Philip, is real. These healings, these miracles are real. And he knows because he's been tricking people for a long time and he's had the power. And he recognizes true magic and true miracles and true power in Philip. So what's the problem? Well, the Bible says that everyone who believes in the name of Jesus is saved. And it makes it clear that when, uh, when Peter and John come, Simon doesn't fall to his knees in humility, but rather wants to buy the power. We actually get a hint of, uh, so the question is, is he saved? We, we get a hint of what, uh, what's going on before the apostles actually arrive. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have a look down uh, at verse 13, what is Simon amazed by? Well, he's not amazed by the gospel. He's not amazed by the, the death of Jesus, but he's amazed by the signs and the wonders. Okay, we see the same controversy in, in John uh, chapter 8, where Jesus is being followed by those who believe in him. Okay, those who, who are just following him just because they want to, uh, out of interest, have kind of left him at this point. He's now in Jerusalem, and you can, you can see that the Pharisees are trying to turn people against him. But it says the people who are following him are, believe him. And then Jesus turns around and calls them sons of devil, the sons of the devil. So what's going on here? Is it that these people are saved or not? Well, we see that through a couple of times through the Bible. It's not just good enough to believe. And don't mishear me here because you, um, am I saying that what the Bible says is wrong? Those who believe in Jesus are saved. Well, there seems to be some difference in, in where, where this use of belief is. Um, and uh, this is the most common misconception. Uh, actually, let's, um, in James chapter 2, uh, if, I, d I don't know whether you want to turn to that, but James chapter 2, uh, he's, James says, I think it's verse 3, I don't know. Um, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So even the demons believe Jesus, he, they believe he is the Son of God, but they're not Christians. So belief is not enough. It's not that we have to work to believe. And this is the most common misconception about Christianity. It's by believing that we are, we are prompted, we, we are almost forced by our belief, by this understanding, this change in us, this repentance that we have to do good and to witness. So it's not the good that saves us, 
it's once we are saved, we are grateful, we recognize that Jesus is God, and we, it leads to true repentance. And, and this is the point that I want to make. True belief leads to repentance. And we don't see that in Simon. Well, we're, le- we're actually left quite hanging with Simon. We don't know whether uh, he becomes a Christian, whether God used him powerfully or not. The, the story moves on from Samaria. Uh, I actually don't know what the histor- historians say about Simon. Um, he, you can see at the end he's more afraid of what might happen to him than genuine repentance. So again, we don't know. But I would ask that you, you don't go too harshly on Simon because remember, he's had power for a long time and which of us haven't you know, just fallen back into old routines when we first became Christian? It's very easy to slip back into old routines and Simon just wants the power. So I'm, I, I would like to think that Simon does believe and then shows true repentance. But we're, not, we're left not knowing. Okay. Um, so... True belief leads to repentance. My, the second controversy is a much more difficult one. Um, and it's one that has divided many churches. Uh, and I'm going to go under the subheading. Actually, it's great that Alice put this on uh, up earlier. It's from Ephesians. Uh, and you might recognize it from the passage that came up right at the start of the, the singing. There is one God, one faith, one baptism. And we'll return to that in a, a, a little bit later. There is one God, one faith, and one baptism. As a, as a young boy growing up in, in the Chinese church in London, um, which is quite a, a multicultural, but also quite a multi-denominational uh, church. We have people from all sorts of backgrounds. I came across this idea uh, which is very common in the Catholic Church, but also especially in the Pentecostal and the Charismatic Church. Uh, the idea is the baptism of the Spirit, a second baptism, that shows that the Spirit has come upon you. Uh, it's, it was very confusing to me, uh, and it has caused a lot of angst and worry in, in that church, but also in the wider church and, and lots of splits in the church as a whole. The confusion comes mainly from a couple of a few instances found in Acts. I mean, there are references elsewhere, but the main uh, there are three instances Acts in Acts where the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, sorry, the, the the belief comes and the word comes, and then the Holy Spirit is it comes later. Uh, the first is at Pentecost itself. So the apostles obvi- and, and the other disciples obviously believe, but then the Holy Spirit comes. In this passage, you see that Philip brings the word and these people believe in Jesus, but then the apostles, Peter and John, come later on. And I think it's in chapter, uh, a little bit later, with going out to the Gentiles, uh, where uh, one of the villages, the word has come, and then the apostles are sent there. And hopefully you see the progression there. We can't just take what's going on in Acts and say this is what uh, you know this should be happening for the church nowadays. If you do that, then you could say that only the apostles, maybe the, it was the gift of the apostles to bring the Holy Spirit, 
Well, if that was the case, then, then none of us would be Christians nowadays. We know that the Spirit is a seal of our, our faith and the Spirit works within us. But we've got to be careful about when we take it uh, to see this is what the church today should look like and this is what the church, or what was happening in the church in Acts. We've got, we can't just say that the, the gospel will come, the, the word will come, belief will come, and then the Spirit will come later. Um, if we, again, if we take that, then we have to say that, well, you've got to be careful about lying to the church leadership. You should never lie to Craig. I, I would say that anyway. But if you lie to Craig, then you will get struck down like Ananias and Sapphira. That would probably bring more people in, actually. And, and that would, but I'm, I'm not saying that, that Craig should strike people down. I don't know whether he can, but, um, but I'm not saying that. Because that was for the early church, signifying how God insisted, you know, God insisted that the early church, especially in Jerusalem, had to be pure, like God is pure. The church nowadays, we know, is, is full of fallen people. I mean, it was full of fallen people then, but the church leadership as well as the church members. So we have to forgive them and love them and, and help them. Um, so what's going on in here? Well, this, uh, so why in this case? It would, have, it would have been very easy for the early church uh, to have been split. We know that the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. So Philip going out to the, uh, to the, uh, the Samaritans is a bit of a surprise that he is, he's accepted so well. And actually John, we see actually, uh, earlier, is probably the worst person because he, he falls out with the Samaritans during uh, when he, he was sent out by Jesus. Um, so John going to the Samaritans is even more surprising. But it would have been very easy for people, historians or the early church to say, well, this isn't the proper church because they weren't part of the original uh, church blessed by the disciples or the, the apostles. Or they could have said, well, this is a proper church. Jerusalem rejected your Christianity and we accepted it. So we're a better church than you are. So yeah, just as the Samaritans worshiped on the mountain uh, and the, the, the Judeans, uh, the, the uh, Jews worshiped in the temple it would have been very easy to have seen this separation. But instead, we see the apostles come to, uh, to ordain this church, to say this is, this is part of the same church. This is one church. Just as Paul, in his ministry, decides that he has to go up to Jerusalem to confirm his, his ministry with the, uh, with the apostles. And later on in Peter's letters, we see that Peter confirms that, that what Paul says is scripture. What Paul says is God's word. So we see this importance. Okay, so in Ephesians 4, this is the, this is the, the passage that we had earlier. So if you wanted to turn to Ephesians 4. Starting with verse 5, Paul writes, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your, uh, that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of, us, uh, of all, 
who is over all and through all and in all. So let me read that again. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over, over all, sorry, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we see elsewhere that in the baptism, in the belief, the Spirit is the mark of our belief. If you struggle with this, please don't go away and, you know, and think, oh, that, that can't be the church for me. Please do talk to somebody about this. Um, it is something that is confusing. Just, uh, and just like that, I was, as, as a young boy, confused about this idea of, the, uh, of this second baptism, this, this baptism of the Spirit, because people were insisting that you can't be a Christian unless you experience these, this baptism of the Spirit and you demonstrate some gift of the Spirit, so you speak in tongues or heal or prophesy or something, and unless you've done that, you're not a Christian. And I hope that you can see that that's divisive. That's not helpful to church. The Bible never says that. The Bible says that if you believe in Jesus, you are saved. That is the mark of a uh, Christian. Acknowledging with your mouth uh, and believing in your heart that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Uh, I know for myself, again, I apologize, this is... uh, um, this is my own testimony that I have, uh, I have served God, I'm serving God, and I have suffered for serving God. I really struggled. It, you know, I had a you know, problem with my old school who actually gave me a disciplinary about my, uh, my speaking out for God. Um, and I know in my heart and I know for certain that I am saved and I have a place in heaven. But I will state clearly, I have not experienced uh, speaking in tongues or healing. But I know that I'm a Christian. So please let us not be uh, divided about this. We believe in one God. We have one faith. And there is one baptism that gives us the certainty that we are one family, that we are one church, and that we all have a place in heaven guaranteed to us. And you are part of my family, and I don't want to be divided about that. So, this idea of this uh, baptism of the Spirit, I believe, is, is divisive. We have one God, one faith, and one baptism. So, let's ju- I'm just going to go back over the other point, uh, points. This one faith and one baptism is marked by signs of true repentance. Not like Simon, who just wondered at powers and miracles. It was... It's true repentance. The uh, original Greek word is from uh, actually when soldiers were marching, they turned, uh, the, the word comes from repentance, which is where it's, it's like soldiers being said, about turn, where they turn around. <coughs> so that's true repentance, where we change our lives and we change it to be serving God. It comes from true repentance. If sorry, it's it is sorry. The, the the one faith and one baptism is marked by signs of true repentance. Sorry, uh, and if it comes to a point where we have to stand up for the faith of God and it causes you to suffer, you shouldn't be surprised. 
In fact, the Bible says that where we are standing for God, suffering will come. But don't be surprised, because you will be then in the long list of people who have suffered. And you're in good company. Those people who have suffered uh, for the persecution of the gospel. And I know that I wouldn't be here today if it, and, and po- proclaiming uh, bolder because of that persecution and having actually more surety about my own salvation, my own faith, if it wasn't for that persecution. At the time, it was horrendous. And, you know, I found it really difficult. But I know that it made me stronger. Maybe not physically, maybe not emotionally, but definitely spiritually. So don't be afraid of that. Let me pray. Father, help us to understand that we are saved, that we are uh, greatly blessed, and that our lives should be given over to you. Uh, Yes, bit by bit. And yes, it is a struggle. And we pray that your Holy Spirit is there helping us with that struggle, but that we can hand our lives over to you in service, in worship of you. Lord, help us and unite us as one family to uh, to uh, take joy with those who are are celebrating and weep with those who are weeping, those struggle with those who are struggling, and suffer with those who are suffer, suffering. And be there for those who are being persecuted. In Jesus' name, Amen.